Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. On today, your June 9th edition of the show, we are going to discuss uh, updates to the MLB roster, uh, names to consider in relief for the trade deadline. We're going to chat about the MLB draft a little bit and uh, then answer some listener questions. So we've got a pretty full slate today. Um, But first of all, Keaton, how is your weekend going? It's almost wrapped up. Yeah, just about done. Uh, It's going all right. Uh, It's been filled with naps and errands and junk around my apartment. So it's been a very eventless weekend. All right. Well, that, that doesn't sound too, too bad. No. Getting ready to head out on a couple of business trips, so I just wanted to try and get everything done. It's always nice to when I come back from business trips, if my apartment is like completely clean, it makes me feel happier. So I just try and like gut clean it every time before I go out on a trip. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad idea. Um, so uh, first thing I want to talk about today is uh, Marco Hernandez, um, and this is a big roster move. Um, Marco Hernandez joins the roster in place of Mitch Moreland, who was briefly uh, activated, then deactivated with a quad strain. Um, Marco, as many of you know, um, has missed over two years of baseball with three shoulder surgeries. Uh, he joins the team and is immediately a legitimate option at pinch hitter and has already had an impact. So, in fact, over the weekend with the Rays, uh, he had a pinch hit double in the second game of the series. And then in the third game, the only win, um, he had a two-run double uh, as well. So he um, he's already shown his impact. Um, before he got called up, he hit 299 um, with a 798 OPS in 42 minor league games. Um, so, I mean... It's just really cool that Marco Hernandez has been able to make his way back after such a crazy um, series of events with his shoulder. It is, and it throws quite a wrench into the makeup of the roster because, uh, you know, as folks have gotten hurt or struggled here or there, one thing that we haven't talked about was where Hernandez might fit. We talked about who gets sent down when you know between like Holt and Nunez because they play the same position well kind of so does Hernandez and that adds kind of another person into the jumble when we have everybody healthy who ends up being you know a casualty of that uh but Hernandez was never a name that we had talked about because um I think you had noted that you you thought he might have been done (laughs) and uh wouldn't have been even an option for the Red Sox but here he is, and he's contributing, and so that's going to just kind of add more to the uh, the stew of the Red Sox roster moves when uh, we have people who get healthy, and we have to make decisions. Yeah, I legitimately did think he was done. Um, you know, w- when he first ha- had separated his left shoulder, um, shortly after that, he had to have surgery to m- remove the pins from that shoulder because they were aggravating his joint. Uh, and then he had a third like cleanup procedure last July. Um, and all those things for somebody whose calling card was swinging the bat just seemed like, um, you know, you couldn't, we couldn't really bank on it, certainly. Um, and then, you know, he's, he's come back so much uh, more effectively than, than I thought. Um, defense is still something he has to work with. And I honestly thought that he would spend most of the year, if not the entire year, 
at the minor leagues working on said defense, but uh, you know, the the team's need for a pinch hitter is real and it's something we talked about last week on the podcast, but I think you're right, uh, Keaton. It, it is really interesting to think about where he's going to be uh, in the future with this team. And one of the interesting things to consider is that um, Marco Hernandez uh, is entering his first arbitration season next year and he'll be arbitration eligible uh, 2020, 2021, and 2022. Um, so that's three additional years of team control. And we know that Brock Holt is a free agent at the end of this year. And uh, so is Eduardo Nunez. So it it brings up an interesting internal option uh, along with Su Wei Lin to kind of fill that gap. Um, and I think, honestly, a more interesting one than Su Wei Lin as well. I would agree. Yeah, I think he's much more interesting. So how do you think that this whole thing is going to end up playing out with the roster this season, though? Yeah, this season it's probably going to be Holt and Nunez. And I would kind of expect, uh, like, Sue Lin has been, and Hernandez probably will be the ones that will bounce back and forth as uh, you know need arises for them to fill, unless Hernandez plays his way into being needed more, which very real possibility he could. And at that point, You'd have to go the route that you've mentioned many times, and you'd have to get rid of a reliever. But the bullpen would need to be better for that to happen, because right now they need the quantity of relievers that they have to just patch together a game. So I would expect it's going to be Holt and Nunez that are going to hold down those kind of utility man roles for the rest of the season. Um, And then they probably would, I mean, depending on how Hernandez plays out this season, they may only bring one of them back if they do bring any of them back uh, because they have so many guys that fill the same role, play the same position and really kind of like the same archetype of player um, that I can really only see a scenario with them bringing one of them back if they bring any of them back at all. But uh, the, the guys that really have more flexibility in their control is Lynn and Hernandez, so I would expect those guys to be the ones that bounce, barring uh, something major on the field. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I, I kind of lean towards the Red Sox going cheap with those bench guys next year in relying on those two rather than re-signing Nunez or Holt. Um, I certainly don't think Nunez is an option to be re-signed. I think there's a possibility Holt could be because of what he brings to the clubhouse and all that good stuff, but... Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd feel pretty good about the combination of Lynn and uh, Hernandez, provided they both are healthy at the end of the year. For that, yeah, I think I would too. Spot. Yeah. All right. Um, one of the other roster moves that we have to talk about is Mike Schwarin, uh, who joined the team lately and pitched twice in relief. Um, surprisingly, I mean, he he never got the start we kind of thought he was going to get. There were a few opportunities for him to start, but he ended up pitching. Uh, four innings uh, over two games, both two innings. Um, he struck out three in the first game, um, four in the second appearance, um, or I should say that's flipped, uh, four in the first appearance, three in the second one. Uh, gave up one earned run on and one hit in the first appearance versus Tampa Bay, um, but no hits uh, in the second one. And I thought overall he looked pretty good. I agree. He has. Um I was surprised it took them so long to finally get him in a game. Um, he really just kind of sat in the bullpen for quite a few days after being called up for him to finally get used. 
which I thought was kind of weird, especially with the series in Kansas City. It's not like there was a ton of high leverage situations, so that seemed like a really good opportunity to get him in there. It seemed like he would start instead of uh, Weber in Kansas yeah. City. Yep, I was kind of expecting that to be the case too, but um, at least he finally got in. And yeah, I agree. I th- particularly the first outing, um, the one where he gave up the home run, I thought he looked particularly good. Um, you know, even with having given up a home run, it was the only hit that he gave up, but he looked pretty sharp, um, a lot sharper than I kind of expected him to. Uh, and he kind of just added on to that with his second appearance too. I think he's looked pretty good so far. He's, it's been brief, but it was, uh, better than I expected him to be. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's going to be an adjustment period for him if they do decide to keep him up and, and keep him in relief. But I do love the idea of him being sort of a, a reliever that can go multiple innings here. Um, and a guy who can piece together those bullpen games, um, I never really saw him as a true viable option for a fifth starter. I just don't know if the arsenal is is quite good enough for that. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm underrating him here, but I definitely think his stuff would play in the bullpen. And I feel like his stuff is good enough right now that he could stick in the bullpen um, for the remainder of the year and be better than a lot of the options that they're currently running out there. It's a much bigger need for him in the bullpen than the rotation. Uh, Evaldi seems like he's much closer to coming back. Brian Johnson could be activated any day at this point. Uh, I w- I'd like to see one of them as the fifth guy and then use Schwarin in the bullpen because uh, his stuff so far has looked pretty darn good out of it. Yeah, I agree. Um, who do you think would be the guy that they would get rid of um, if they were to keep Mike Schwarin when, uh, let's say... Uh, you know, one of the other guys comes back. Let's just say Eovaldi comes back or, or Brian Johnson. Who would be your first to go? Um, Josh Taylor I would be okay with. Or Brewer, I guess. Either one of those. Yeah, those are the two guys I'm looking at as well. Uh, it is worth noting that Marcus Weldon has been struggling as of late. Uh, he gave up a couple more runs today, but I, I certainly still – Continue to have faith in him and Hembry and, and a few of those other guys back there. But, yeah, I agree. Josh Taylor and Colton Brewer don't do a ton for me. Although I need to give Colton Brewer some some credit. He has pitched some some solid appearances uh, over the last couple weeks. He has. seems like he's gotten a little bit better. Brazier has got a bit of the, uh, the home run happies lately. That needs to get fixed pretty quick, too. But... Um, Either one of those guys I would feel pretty confident with just sacrificing and keeping Schwar in there. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, let's move on to our next topic here. Um, <clears throat> J.D. Martinez, uh, another roster uh, note. Uh, he's been sidel- sidelined, um, but not IL'd. Um, he's continuing to have some back soreness slash back spasms. Um, and this is the third time this year that he's been kept out with that. Um, hasn't played much. Didn't, didn't play over the weekend here. Um, how concerned should we be about this injury at this point, Keaton, with it continuously popping up? I'm very concerned at this point because, I mean, there's plenty of examples where back issues don't go away unless they're given, like, significant time off to just do nothing and recover. And the Red Sox can't really afford that, particularly with him. So that's not great. 
uh, either I feel like it's going to be constant situations like this where we'll go through runs where he's on the field and then he'll have to take a series off and kind of patch it together throughout the season or they're going to actually have to put him on the IL and give him like a full 10 days, maybe two weeks to just not do any baseball activities and just recover, which probably would be the the best thing to do long-term. You'd probably want him on the field um, for as much as possible down the home stretch. Uh, but these, these linger, they don't go away easily. So it's, it's not something that I think he can just take a series off and then he'll be good to go. I think it's still going to pop up. Yeah, I'm wor- I'm a little bit worried about it too. I uh, know at this point. I kind of want them to IL him for like 2 weeks and see if it responds to complete rest and treatment. Um yeah, I am I'm, I'm with you here. And the other thing that I think about with JD Martinez is I wonder how this is going to affect his decision to opt out uh at the end of the year. He's making 23.75 million. Uh, this year, he's supposed to make the same thing next year, followed by two seasons at 19.375. Uh, so substantial uh, substantial money still uh, in a market that hasn't been kind to players of his age. And I know that Boris is his agent still, but I wonder if his own health concerns are going to... Um, you know, dissuade him from from opting out and chasing something bigger because he didn't exactly have fun last time he was on the free agent market. No, he did not. He would not be tied to any form of compensation if he opts out. Correct. Uh, I don't know that. I'm not not sure. Because that would probably be part of it too. If the Red Sox end up getting like a, um, I don't know, one of those like comp C picks or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's been the issue with like Kimbrel and Keiko and why people didn't sign them because they had to give up draft picks. Um, so if he opts out with back issues and he's tied to compensation, he probably wouldn't end up signing again until next June. It would be my guess just how shitty the free agent market is right now. So yeah, I probably agree. Um, if he's having issues, and there may or may not be compensation tied to it. I would expect him not to opt out. Yeah, um, that could be good for the Red Sox long term. But obviously the biggest concern now above everything else is just getting this guy healthy and effective because they certainly need him. Um, it's also worth noting that today uh, Andrew Benintendi uh, sat in the finale versus Blake Snell, who is obviously a dominant lefty. Um and Benintendi, uh, at this point in his career, has a 233, 324, 323 slash line with a 75 WRC+, uh, versus lefties over the course of his career. Versus 293, 369, 478 with a 123 WRC+, versus righties in his career. And the reason I bring this up is because um, when we talk about Benintendi, we talk about a potential star in this league um, and a guy who the Red Sox really need at the top of their lineup, um, not the very top anymore, but the second spot in the lineup to be producing at a high level. Um, And I don't think Benintendi can fully be considered the star that we sort of think that he's going to be and that we've, we've already kind of crowned him to be if he can't figure this out. And uh, you know, after this period of time, it's kind of concerning that the manager has, has lost some faith in him versus lefties, and he's not even trotting him out there anymore. I think that's fair. 
something that does give me hope this is something he can definitely work through is so far this season facing lefties. Uh, he has almost as many walks as he does strikeouts. He's got 15 walks to 17 strikeouts, which would suggest to me that he's seeing the pitches. He's just not hitting them, which, um, you know, I guess maybe that doesn't bode well, but I, I'll, I'll choose to look on the bright side uh, and say that if he's seeing the pitches, then the next step, the next domino to fall would be hitting them. Uh, so I think he's, I mean, it's, it's all of these young players have been with the team for a couple of years now. It's really easy to forget that Ben Tenney's still only 24 and two years ago, essentially he was playing in the college world series or three years ago, whatever. He's still pretty young. Uh, and I would say he's still kind of developing, hasn't even hit kind of his prime years that we kind of think of baseball players in their prime. But um, he's certainly shown multiple times the ability to be the star that we want him to be and, as you said, kind of ground him to be. Uh, but if his his plate vision is that good versus lefties to the point where it's almost even with his walks and strikeouts, I would say that he this is something that he can figure out. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I have, I have certain, certainly, I have faith that he can figure this out. Um, I just want to make sure that he's getting the opportunity to do so. Um, so, I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, this is something that he can get ironed out. We've seen guys do this before. It's not exactly uncommon, but the Red Sox really need Benintendi to be good. Benintendi against both handedness, if they're gonna, you know, do the things we want this team to do. Um, just last week, uh, I got asked on Twitter, uh, by longtime listener, uh, Frederick Ambrosino, um, is it too early to start making a list of the relievers that may be available, uh, during the trade deadline? Uh, one of the guys he asks about is Kirby Yates. Um, and, um, I decided, uh, at some point this week, I can't remember what day it was that I would go through and start making a list of potential options for bullpen help. Uh, I went kind of heavy on left-handed pitchers. I split them up into three categories based on um, how expensive I thought they would be uh, to acquire and sort of um, what type of an impact they could have. Um, To answer your question about Yates, I don't think that he's going to be available because San Diego is right there in the mix. Um, and I like their team, and I think that, if anything, they might be underperforming a little bit right now. Um, but I did make that list, and it is large and extensive. Uh, so, Keaton, what do you say? Do you want to uh, start going through some of these guys? I do. All right. Let's start off with the high-end and expensive tier, guys that are going to cost a lot but come in and have a huge impact. Um First guy I want to talk about is Felipe Vasquez, a dominant left-handed closer for the Pittsburgh Pirates, who's under team control uh, until 2023. He's excellent versus both righties and lefties. Uh, He sports a 230 ERA on the year. Um, The Red Sox uh, are going to have to pay through the nose if they want to acquire this guy. Uh, The other thing to consider is the Pittsburgh Pirates aren't that far out, but their negative 75 run differential uh, says that they probably should be. So I think that this team is going to be sellers, but I don't actually think that they're going to sell Felipe Vasquez. I don't think that they would either. They also, I guess they do have Keone Kella 
there as uh, an option if they do trade Vasquez to be their filling closer who has closing experience that he had with Texas. Uh, I think he might be hurt right now, though. Maybe I'm misremembering that. But he's there. Uh, he was dealing with injury issues earlier in the season. Yeah. Yeah, Vasquez is going to be very expensive, both because he is very good and he has lots of control left. I don't know if the Red Sox have the firepower to get it done. Yeah, I agree. I don't think that they could get this done. I don't think that they'll even shop him. You might see a team with a super loaded farm system go after Vasquez, uh, but it won't be the Red Sox. Um, Next guy on the list is a guy who's certainly going to be available. Shane Green, right-handed pitcher uh, for the Detroit Tigers. He's their closer. He's uh, under control until 2020. Uh, This year, he's got a 104 ERA, uh, albeit he does have a 341 FIP to go along with that. And he has had problems versus left-handed hitters, but um, he's been absolutely dominant versus righties. And it's worth noting that the Yankees lineup is very, very right-handed heavy. Um, he's an interesting option for the team. He is. And this one is is should be someone that the Red Sox are looking at. Detroit's bad, but somehow he's racking up a ridiculous amount of saves. Um, and he's having a really strong year. So uh, he's definitely going to get moved because he's going to um, he's going to be expensive, but I don't think he's going to end up being as expensive as we expect. Uh, but the Detroit certainly doesn't have any reason to keep him on the team, so he's going to get moved, and that's someone that the Red Sox should definitely be in on. Yeah. Um- I'm I'm a little bit worried by some of the peripherals there, but overall, I mean, Shane Green's been a pretty effective guy, and he's he's having his best year this year. And I, I agree with you. I think the Red Sox could afford him. Um, I don't even think it would take somebody as high up as like a Bobby Dalbeck to get it done. Maybe maybe that would be the price, but I think they could get it done for even less than that. Um, and. Dombrowski does have that relationship with Detroit, so it makes it a little bit more interesting there. Um, Next guy on the list, Will Smith, uh, left-handed pitcher for the San Francisco Giants. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year, meaning he is a true rental. Uh, He's been dominating versus both righties and lefties this year. He's got a 2.28 ERA. Uh, He's been absolutely fantastic. This guy's a really, really interesting option, specifically because he is left-handed and the Red Sox don't really have a good lefty or really any lefty that they use regularly in their bullpen. Yeah, he has put together several seasons of being a very, very good reliever. And it's kind of a shame that he's buried on a team as bad as San Francisco right now. But there's he is another guy that's absolutely going to get dealt. <clears throat> and even though he's a rental, he's probably going to be pretty expensive because he's very good. Yeah, I think he's going to be expensive too. Um, I think that he could he could demand like that Bobby Dahlbeck level prospect price tag. Yeah, I would. I kind of feel like he. Well, no, Brad Hand had more control than just a rental. Um, I was trying to think of a comp from last year's pile of relievers that got moved, but I can't off the top of my head. It's not going to be cheap. No. 
Um, next guy we should talk about is Sean Doolittle, who I geeked out over uh, last week when you mentioned him on the podcast. Another lefty uh, has a 2020 option uh, for for his team. He's got a 3.58 ERA right now. Um, but when I started digging into Sean Doolittle's stats. I was a little concerned, and I wasn't expecting to be concerned about my boy, but now I'm much less concerned, and I want him much less than before. But he's getting absolutely lit up by right-handed hitters this year, uh, which is super scary, especially if you are coming to the American League East. Um, The other concern with Sean Doolittle is just his myriad health issues that he's had uh, over the course of his career. Um, so while I think he will be available, I'm not sure I want the Red Sox to pay the price that it's going to take to get Sean Doolittle. I do, and I'm going to chalk it up to the Washington National stink that uh, has just caused him to look a little gross. Um, he also, I think, is his numbers are a bit blurred by recent outings. I think he's had a couple stumbles as of late but on the whole he's still a real solid reliever and a guy that i'd love to have on the team yeah i mean i i agree that he would come in and be immediately a boost to the to the unit but i'm scared as to what it's going to cost to get a guy like him i mean what do you think that's going to be yeah i guess that's true well last time we talked about what was a doll buck and a bucket of chicken and a 30 rack <laughs> you still think that's a fair price <laughs> Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, if you're getting two years out of him, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> maybe half, whatever. Maybe you get to hold the thirty rack, but you still send the other things. Yeah, yeah. Or if it's like a thirty of Jenny creams, mm. nothing impressive. Yeah, nobody wants those. <laughs> uh, next guy on the list is super interesting to me. Uh, Alex Colome, a right-handed pitcher, under team control until 2020. Uh, dominating both uh, lefties and righties. He's been better versus lefties this year. He has a 2.19 ERA, uh, closing for Chicago. Um, Chicago is going absolutely nowhere, which makes him super interesting. Uh, I really like Colome, and I think he could be an excellent option. I'm not a huge Colome guy, and I feel like I might be in the minority, but um, I would rather he's... He had a really bad start to the season, but I would actually rather the Red Sox go after Calvin Herrera. His numbers look really bad. He has a 7.13 ERA, uh, but his recent starts or his recent outings have been way better, and he's back to throwing like 98, which is great. That is good. Um, I, I do like Herrera, and I know that the Red Sox like Herrera a lot, so that's kind of an interesting name. Um <clears throat> But, man, it's hard to ignore what Colome has been doing this year, isn't it? I mean, I guess, if you're, like, looking at numbers and stuff. Yeah, his cutter's been really good. Um, he's just an interesting guy. But maybe the Red Sox decide he's a righty, and they're not super interested in that. Which case, they might look to dun, 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 the mid-pack options. All right, mid-pack options. Uh this is the guys that are sort of middle of the road um, who the Red Sox might be able to afford. Could be a little bit cheaper because of either how they're performing or amount of control or cost or whatever. Um, but my number one option there is uh, Tony Watson, a left-handed pitcher, uh, also of the San Francisco Giants. 
Um, he's got a player option for 2020, 266 ERA this year, uh, which seems great on the surface, but it comes with a middling K rate, uh, 361 FIP. Um, he's not been dominant versus righties or lefties. He's kind of got a way better ERA than his actual batting average against would su- suggest. Um, but nonetheless, this is a guy that I really wanted the Red Sox to sign two off seasons ago. Um, and he's pitching well. And he has closing experience. He, uh, picked up a whole buttload of saves for Pittsburgh after Melanson got hurt, which maybe the Red Sox just go for the trifecta and bring Melanson back with Watson and Will Smith. Oh, wow. Bring in all three. Yeah. I don't know if Melanson has anything left at all, but uh, couldn't be any worse than the first go-around, right? No. Couldn't be any worse than that. Um, couldn't be any worse than Joel Hanrahan, uh, who <laughs> was also supposed to be something. Uh, fun with relievers around here. It's always fun when you you bring in a reliever and they do nothing, a.k.a. Uh, what's his name? Smith. Carson Smith and Tyler Thornberg. It's been real fun lately. Eric Gagne. Yeah, yeah. Gagne post-steroids. Yeah. Um, next guy is Scott Oberg, uh, right-handed pitcher for the Colorado Rockies. Uh, I do have three Rockies on this list, and that comes with a big caveat because the Rockies are currently not very far out uh, in the wild card race. So the Rockies might decide not to sell. Uh, but if they do decide to sell, uh, Oberg is the best of their three options. He's the closer right now in Colorado. Uh, He's doing very well this year versus righties and lefties, although he has been crushed by lefties over his career. He does have a low K rate. His walks are too high. He's got a 375 FIP, but all of that is kind of glossed over by the fact that he's got a 159 ERA right now. So he's been been pitching in some high leverage situations all season long. Not as strong on the strikeouts as you might like, but he has been very effective. And Wade Davis was activated on Friday, so he's back to uh, set up. All right. Yeah, he's he's interesting, but not sexy in any sort of way. And I think that that's a candidate to regress back to the mean. So I would not be very supportive of the Red Sox going after Oberg. There is uh, another guy there, though. Was it Estevez? He is actually kind of interesting. He is... Uh, much stronger on the strikeouts and Emilio Estevez, Carlos Estevez, <coughs> Emilio. <laughs> Why not? I mean, at this point, we're we're kind of we'll take anybody, right? <laughs> yeah, we're scouting the entire Colorado bullpen at this point. Um, yeah, Estevez is interesting. Uh, he certainly has a much better K rate than Oberg, and considering what he's done this year, it he should be a lot less expensive. Yeah, and he's 26, um, much more years of control. Um, his He's got a 4.11 ERA and a 1.34 whip, but that always brings into question how much of that is the core's monster and how much of that is his ability as a pitcher because his, the, you know, the tertiary stats look pretty good. Keeps the ball on the ground, racks up strikeouts, it's kind of what you want in a reliever. Those are good things. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because the Red Sox have been feeling a lot better about their infield defense as of late with Devers playing exceptionally well. Very well. 
Uh, let's talk about old man Francisco Liriano. He is the next one on my list. Uh, I really like him as an option. He's a left-handed pitcher. He's a rental. Uh, he's got a 147 ERA on the season with a 350 FIP, dominating right-handed hitters. Um, he's worse versus righties over his career. He's, he is struggling versus lefties this year, but he's done very well against lefties over the course of his career. Uh, Francisco Liriano's interesting because he has pitched in the American League East. He's a longtime AL guy. Um, I, I always kind of like this stuff. Um, and I imagine that this one with his age and, you know, contract is going to be very cheap. He signed a minor league deal this year. Man, I just have no interest in him at all. Is it because he's old? It's because he's old. Um, he's been mostly bad uh, in recent years. I guess you're right. He has been not so bad this year in what is, I guess, largely a move to the bullpen, um, which really is, yeah, I mean, he was starting last year, so yeah, maybe this is his role, but I don't. I don't like it. But, I mean, I guess if it's a rental in his age and he's doing well, and that's a cheap option. But, I don't know. Something tells me that his time passed, like, in 2015. And even as a reliever, he's going to get figured out. Maybe. He might be. Um, I agree with you. He's certainly not a starter anymore. But the idea of a three-pitch bullpen guy who's got experience doing a lot of different things kind of entices me. But maybe you're right. Maybe I'm just looking at that 147 ERA and the left-handedness of him and and getting too excited. Um, Let's look at some lower-tier options. All these guys are either struggling or expensive or, you know, both or, you know, or not good to begin with, or, you know, whatever. But maybe the most interesting guy, or one of the two most interesting, I'll, I'll, I'll say tied for tied for most interesting on this list, is Sergio Romo, a right-handed pitcher with the Marlins. He's acting as their closer right now. He's a rental. He's got a 409 ERA, but he's absolutely crushing right-handed hitters this year to the tune of a 174 batting average against. He's been trash against lefties, so you don't pitch him against lefties, but man, like... This guy seems like he could come in and be a weapon against the Yankees team. Yeah, he's another guy that I just don't have any interest in. And Keaton, Keaton do you hate old people? <laughs> um, I mean, we have talked about this on the Dynasty Child Pod. As far as Dynasty goes, I do. Um, but he... <clears throat> on... The, as I guess he's been a lot better as of late because he was rocking an ERA over six for the longest time. Uh, and that's not great. So he has significantly improved as of late if his ERA is almost under four at this point. But I just... I think there's there's better options. That's I guess that's my point. All right. I can't... Or my hope. I can't disagree that there are better options out there. Let's uh, <laughs> let's dig around in the bargain bin a little bit more. Uh, the next man I bring you, which I hope to excite you with more, is a lefty. So, ooh, there you go. That's good in its own right. Um, a guy who I've actually long wanted the Red Sox to sign, uh, Jake McGee. Uh, he's expensive. Uh, he makes about $9.5 a year, which is not good. He's signed through at least 2020. Um, 
and he's better versus right-handed hitters over his career. Hasn't pitched much this year. Um, Jake McGee, any interest? Yeah, what's his deal? Uh, is he hurt? He, he was hurt. Be, right? He was hurt. Uh, that's why he's only got like seven innings pitched on the season. He has yeah. been kind of effective in those innings uh, since he's come back. Uh, certainly looks effective with the ERA, but the underlying numbers don't like him quite that much. Yeah, the strikeouts are kind of okay. Only one walk. That's not bad. I mean, yeah, I am a little bit more excited about McGee uh, pending health. I would be pretty fine with this. But this is not going to happen because of that salary. <clears throat> yeah, definitely not. Uh, our next uh, trash man that I shall bring you is Adam Connolly, left-handed pitcher for your Miami Marlins. There's the theme here. Um, he's not a free agent until 2022, so there's quite a bit of control here with him. Uh, on the surface, it looks terrible. Uh, 725 ERA, but that comes with a slightly better 4.8 FIP. He's also destroying right-handed hitters this year. Uh, 211 batting average against versus them. Um, I think Adam Conley is a much better pitcher than he's shown this year. He is a lefty as well. I kind of like Conley. Yeah, I think you actually might have sold me on that. That's interesting. That's surprising that a lefty is... Uh that good against righties so is he getting hammered by lefties because that's weird uh he is this year yes that is weird uh over the course of his career he's been sort of middling versus both yeah interesting but i think that this is a guy that has an interesting enough starter set that maybe banister and crew could make him into something yeah i guess i I wouldn't hate this one i think think you might have been onto something here okay good find the next one I think you might find interesting as well then. Jace Fry, left-handed pitcher um, for your Chicago White Sox. Uh, he's a free agent in 2024, so lots of team control here. Uh, he's home run prone. He does have control issues, but he has been affected, effective both against righties and lefties uh, over the course of his career. Um, I like his raw stuff and tools. Um and I think it's interesting how much control he has. The only thing is, I'm not sure the White Sox would want to uh, part with him because of all those things I just said. Those walks are scary. They are. They are very scary, and they've sort of been an issue for a little while now. Yeah. That would shy me away from him because it looks like he really has absolutely no idea where it's going. Uh, and if it hasn't been harnessed in by now, this being his third season in the majors, and it's gotten worse, <laughs> that's that's kind of wild. Do you remember um, the Red Sox facing him at all last year? I do not. So actually, last year he was kind of impressive when he when he was in games. Um, he struck out. A little over 12 per nine, which is great. And the control was way better last year, 3.51 walks per nine. And he had a 267 FIP over 51.1 innings. So the thing there is like the talent exists. It's just a matter of kind of getting him to be more consistent with it, which isn't the easiest thing, but um, uh, 92.8 mile an hour average this year from the left side uh 88 mile an hour slider there's some interesting stuff going on there i do remember 
watching. This is gonna bug me. Who the hell was the uh, the utility guy we sent to Arizona like two years ago? Utility guy we sent to Arizona. Um. Uh. Oh. Um. The guy who was the first round draft pick, Devin Marrero. Devin Marrero. I remember watching him hit two home runs uh, in Chicago uh, two seasons ago. Was one off Jace Fry? Uh, that I don't remember. Uh, but I had <laughs> just just finished uh, talking to my friend about how he uh, he was bad. And then he hit two home runs. And they're like, are you sure? And I was like, <laughs> I assure you, he's bad. Uh, and you were correct. He is bad. I don't even know if he's in baseball anymore. Uh, the next guy, um, and this is uh, tied for Sergio Romo with me for the uh, for me for the most interesting of the lower tier options, and that's David Hernandez, a right-handed pitcher uh, rental. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Um, David Hernandez is is up there. He's in his mid thirties at this point. He's dominating right-handed hitters. Uh, he's about equal versus them righties and lefties for his career. Um, he's got a five fourteen ERA, which looks bad on the surface, but he's got a two seventy five FIP. He's striking out a ton of guys, not walking very many. Uh, he's been pitching in high leverage innings. I really like the idea of David Hernandez uh, in this Red Sox bullpen. I actually do too. He's had a much better track record of success over the past years that his numbers show right now uh, going back to his uh, one year in Philly so I would feel better uh, you know expecting those numbers to come back more towards his FIP uh, and he's been pretty strong with the strikeouts so uh, I think I'm with you on this one all right uh, next guy is his battery mate, or not battery mate, but bullpen mate, I should say, uh, Jared Hughes, right-handed pitcher. Um, he has an option for next year, but likely he's a rental. He's a ground ball guy with a low K rate. Uh, he was smashed by righties this year. I don't find him particularly interesting, um, but I think he will be available. Um, I don't really think that the Red Sox are looking for a low K rate uh, reliever here. I think they're looking for a guy who can come into spots and uh, strike guys out. So I'm not a big Jared Hughes guy, even though on the surface he looks better than a lot of the other lower-end options. Yeah, I guess he is very good at ground balls, but that's a lot of contact. That's going to catch up to him. I don't know if a lot of contact in the AL East go together very well. No, they don't. (laughs) Nope. And finally, the last guy on the list. Mike Dunn, another Colorado Rocky, left-handed pitcher, vesting option for 2020, but probably a uh, rental. Uh, Dominating left-handed hitters this year, a 174 batting average against. He hasn't done that for his whole career, though, so it's a little bit of an anomaly. Um, Mike Dunn is sort of interesting, but also not the sexiest name in the world. Nah, I'm kind of meh on him. It's also not... All that great with the strikeouts. Yeah. I could take it or leave it. Preferably leave it. All right. So we finished going over the guys that I've talked about. First of all, who do you like the most on this list? And who do you think would be your top three targets for the Red Sox? Uh, Will Smith would be my number one. Sean Doolittle would be my number two. Uh, And Scott Oberg would be my number three. Interesting. Yeah. I think I would also agree with Will Smith one. 
two, I would go after Shane Green. And three would be David Hernandez for me. All right. Yeah. Um, any other names you want to bring to this collection? Uh, off the top of my head, no. Okay. It's a pretty uh, pretty substantial list there from a lot of different tiers. So, um, Granted, we don't know if all these guys are going to be available, but that should give you a little bit of an idea of what the Red Sox might be looking for, who might be available. Um, and then, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, all right, let's switch gears here. Uh, MLB draft happened uh, since we last spoke. Um, the Red Sox had some, made some interesting picks here. Um, if you want to hear much more in depth about this, um, tune into the Locked On Red Sox podcast where I actually had Ian Cundell uh, of Sox Prospects come on as a guest and kind of deep dive into a few of those guys. Um, so it was an interesting draft, but I think what we'll do here is just kind of go over um, the top four guys that the Red Sox selected and then one additional guy. Um, and then Keaton, I'll give you an opportunity to kind of talk about any guys that you think are interesting. Uh, the Red Sox had uh, Cameron Cannon selected uh, for their first pick in this draft at 43 overall. He's a shortstop, but not likely to be a shortstop uh, out of Arizona, probably play third or second base. Uh, they selected him um, with their number one pick that they had. Uh, he's a junior, um, so he'll probably sign. Uh, a little bit of an interesting guy there. Um, number two selection for them was number 69, Matthew Lugo, nice. shortstop out of Beltran Academy out of Puerto Rico. Um, he was sort of their, their big get. Um, MLB ranked him as high as 38th. Um, perfect game had him at 50, so he was actually higher ranked than Cameron Cannon. Uh, after him, the third pick was Ryan Zephyrjohn, a uh, right-handed pitcher out of Kansas. Uh, he was a junior there, also a very high, highly ranked guy, uh, as highly ranked as 57 by Baseball America. And then finally, uh, with their fourth pick, they took maybe the most interesting guy of the draft, uh, Noah Song, right-handed pitcher out of Navy, finalist for the Golden Spikes Award for Best College Baseball Player. He's a senior. Uh, he was ranked 22nd by Perfect Game, so certainly first-round talent there. Um, but the the rub with Noah Song is that he's going to have to serve two years in the Navy, likely, uh, at flight school before he can even pitch uh, in the minor leagues. Um, so that's a little bit of an interesting guy. And then I wanted to talk briefly about the 11th pick that the Red Sox made, Sebastian Keen, um, 11th rounder. Um, they took him 347th overall. He's out of North Andover High School in Massachusetts. He was a Northeastern commit. Um, he's a big right-handed pitcher. Uh, he was ranked 140th by both MLB and Baseball America, and he's likely to be an over-slot guy uh, if he decides to sign uh, any 11th pick. Um, so, Keaton, out of this draft and certainly out of those five guys that I mentioned, um, any of these guys that the Red Sox selected really interest you? Uh, Cameron Cannon does, actually. I find him very interesting. Um, I think... More interesting than any individual player, the whole trend of the Red Sox picks I find more interesting, um, but I think he could be a guy that moves pretty quickly. 
which I think is kind of the overall trend. But I like his ability as a hitter, and um, the scouting reports seem to be pretty high on him fielding, at least being able to you know handle pretty much any spot in the infield. <clears throat> so I think he's an interesting get. But the the overall kind of how the draft played out for the Red Sox, I thought was interesting because uh, nine of their first ten picks were all college uh, players, which would suggest that they are trying to rapidly replenish the farm system because, as they should be, college players are supposed to be a little bit more polished than high school players. Uh, but also, particularly high school seniors, uh, they don't have any leverage in signing whatsoever. So signing seniors, you can get them for well under slot value and save for higher picks and kind of go over slot and the Red Sox had the lowest slot money uh, in all of the majors for this draft. So if they want to go above slot to sign Matthew Lugo, then they probably needed to draft some seniors, sign them for well under slot so they could go over slot to get Lugo. So I thought that whole strategy of how that played out was really interesting for the reason of uh, trying to rapidly replenish a farm system that's kind of bleh. Uh, and trying to save money to um, kind of go maybe a little over slot on a couple of their their first picks. So that the whole draft strategy and slot strategy, I think, is fascinating, uh, as much as it probably screws players over, uh, and that part isn't fun. Um, but, you know, I guess that's all, it's all within the rules, but that's a topic for another day. Uh, so I think... More than any one particular player that they got, I think how they went about the first handful of picks, I thought was interesting. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was a really smart strategy and something that a lot of teams that um, you know don't have as much money to work with um, do because they knew that Cannon wouldn't be around at sixty nine where they were taking Lugo, so they could manipulate that money a little bit. Uh, Cannon will likely sign for lower than slot, and they'll give some of that money to Lugo to convince him to sign. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see where they go with Noah Song's bonus because he's going to make or bonus for that area. The slot is four hundred six, uh, four hundred six thousand. But considering he can't play for two years, um, you know, no no guarantee that he's going to get that. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I, I think that the the way that they went about this draft was really smart, and I do agree that there is sort of a fundamental difference in how uh, Dave Dombrowski's regime has been approaching the draft. It does seem like they go more college-heavy, and that certainly continued to be true this year with only uh, Matthew Lugo and Brock Bell um, being taken um, uh, as high school guys in the first 10 picks this year. Um I think that they're trying to bypass a lot of those development years that pitchers have because we've seen some of the pitfalls that can come from uh, trying to develop high school pitchers. Uh, in 2016, Jake Grom uh, was the number one selection for the Red Sox there. They took him 12th overall, um, and he has not even pitched um, 100 innings of minor league uh, baseball at this point now in 2019 so obviously he's a little bit of an extreme case but you know um, you can bypass a lot of that uh, development time by pitching or by selecting pitchers specifically uh, who are from the college ranks remember trey ball 
I try not to as much as I possibly can. <laughs> Red Sox have had some wild drafts here. Yeah, Trey Ball was my number one least favorite pick that the Red Sox have ever made. So, Trey, if you're listening, it's nothing personal. I'm sorry. It's just there were so many other guys I wanted that weren't named Trey Ball at that position that year. Um, yeah, so as I said, if you want more in-depth than that, definitely go check out the Lockdown podcast uh, that came out today, same day, Monday. Um Darwinson Hernandez, while we're talking about prospects, Darwinson may start for the Red Sox on Tuesday. He is rumored to be uh, one of the options uh, to go against Texas. Um, Red Sox are opening up a four-game set against Texas, and while that might not mean much uh, on a usual um, sort of uh, year, um, Texas is actually leading the second wild card at this point. So it's going to be Sale versus Mike Miner for the first game on Monday, uh, followed by perhaps Darwinson versus Ariel Girado, um, then Porcello versus Lance Lynn, and uh, David Price versus Sampson, uh, wrapping that up. So uh, this is kind of a big series for the Red Sox. Yeah, low-key it really is. Uh, it is. I still believe it is a series that they should probably win three out of four of. Uh, this roster for Texas is wild just kind of all over the place the lineup and the pitching i am really surprised they are where they are where they are and that's probably more uh tribute to joey gallo and the ridiculous season he was having before he got hurt than um most other people mike Miner is having a very interesting year as well but i don't understand it and it's it shouldn't be something that trips the red Sox up they should at least get three out of four yeah, I would hope so. Um, they certainly haven't been great against other winning teams this year. Um, and to, to break that down a little bit further, um, they they have a 4-2 and two record this year against Toronto, which isn't surprising because Toronto's not that great. Um, they're 4-5 and five versus Tampa Bay, 4-3 uh, and three versus Oakland, 1-4 versus the Yankees, 2-4 and four versus Houston, 1-2 um, versus Cleveland, um, one and two versus Arizona. The, the Red Sox certainly have not been great against good teams this year. They haven't. But we have talked about the schedule, uh, kind of wrapping up the last few pods, and I wanted to do that again because uh, this is a a really massive stretch over the next two months that I think. Um, Plays out really weird on the Red Sox schedule. Uh, they have a whole bunch of games coming up against teams that they should roll uh, with a kind of a couple hiccups. So I maybe, I mean, say at worst a split with the Rangers. I still think they should take three out of four. Then they got the Orioles. They got a tough one against the Twins. Then they got the Blue Jays and White Sox. Then they got the London series. Then they got the Blue Jays and Detroit. Then a tough one against the Dodgers, and then the Blue Jays and Orioles. And then after that, their next 14 games are against the Rays and Yankees. So prior to the 14 games against the Rays and Yankees, there is a very legitimate chance that they should go 24-10, and 10, as I mapped this out. And that was uh, losing the series against the Dodgers, uh, splitting in London against the Yankees, and losing the series against the Twins. 
uh, with a sweep against the Orioles and a sweep against Detroit. That is a pretty moderate guess at the next however many games that was at 34 games for the Red Sox. That shouldn't be out of reach for them. And that should make up a ton of ground into a stretch that that 14 game stretch at the end of July uh, against the Yankees and Rays is going to define their season completely. Because if they're, uh, you know, within striking distance coming into those, they could come out of that looking great. Or uh, if, you know, they're where they're at now and they're like six games out, they could be completely buried by the time they come out of it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, looking at that stretch, uh, basically starting now, it does open up a lot more opportunities. The Red Sox have played the fewest home games of any team to this juncture in the season at this point. So um, they've they've got a lot more of those coming up. They've got a lot of weak opponents, as you said. Um, I agree with you that they should take three out of four from Texas at home. Um, that twin series will be really hard. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity for the Red Sox to go on a bit of a run and especially if they can improve their team uh, leading up to the deadline as well. They, they'll be in a much better position um, to, to go against those teams. Um, and right now the, where the Red Sox stand as we, as we speak, uh, there's seven games behind the Tampa Bay Rays for the division lead uh, and Tampa Bay actually passed the Yankees uh, today uh, for, for division. So they're 40 and 24 Yankees are 39 and 24 uh, Red Sox are 34 and 32. So they are in striking distance, but, um, you know. As crappy as this week ended, too, they actually gained two and a half games since the last time we recorded on Sunday. Hmm. Yeah, they did. They were nine and a half back, weren't they? They were. Yeah. Oh, actually, that Yankees game's over. So the Yankees and Rays are tied at 40 and 24 now. Yeah. And kind of ironically enough, over the last ten, Yankees, Rays, and Red Sox all five and five. Okay, Yankees uh, also put Domingo Herman on the IL today. So, whoa, that's a big one. Yeah, um, we'll see. Th- these teams are both really good, though. So <laughs> yeah, they are. It's uh, it's going to be a dogfight, <laughs> and the Red Sox are going to have to play great baseball to get back into it. Yeah, that's why I think that stretch where they have 14 games against those, that's that's going to define the season. That's either going to bury them or, you know, bring them right back in stride for stride down the home stretch. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's get to our three listener questions for today, and then we'll wrap up because we're going a little bit long here with uh, all the deep dives. Um, but our first question comes from Ben Jacobson, who asks, What's up with Devers and Chavis? It seems like they've both been pretty cold lately. Uh, Marco Hernandez is going to be a thing. Uh, why can't we make any progress Basically, past basically being a 500 team? And uh, who should the next guy, not Derwin's in, to be called up by the bullpen be? Maybe Mejia? Um, so let's, let's take these uh, separately, I guess. Um, Devers has not been cold at all. Devers has been scorching hot. And Devers has actually had the bat taken out of his hand lately a lot by being intentionally walked. Um, Chavis, though, has been struggling with the uh, pitches high in the zone. Uh, he's striking out a ton. But he did walk today against those offerings. Um, so I think that there's... Um, some potential for growth for Chavis, but he's certainly not going to be the guy that he was when he first came up. No. Last 14 days for Devers, though, he's hitting 214. 
still has three homers and 11 RBIs, though, which is kind of a lot. But uh, So he's been on a bit of a skid. But I think there was a game in their or back-to-back. Or, but yeah, he had an 0, 0 and 5 in there uh, against the Yankees. And when you're looking at a sample size of 14 days, that skews it quite a bit. So I wouldn't kind of read into that much. But Chavis is a big one, uh, and particularly with runners on base uh, or runners in scoring position. Uh, he's hitting 234. Um, that's not great. Although the Red Sox as a whole, my God, can we get a hit with runners in scoring position? Not I mean, today. No, I mean, the, the tone was set from the jump. You know, second and third, nobody out, couldn't get a single goddamn run. The, for the series against uh, the Rays, the whole, for the entire four-game series, they were 5 for 34. Which One is, for 13 today. Oh, 13. There was even two more that I missed while I was doing my numbers. So that would be a 138 average in that series. It's really bad. Yeah. Not great. Not great. Which when you look at it's when you look at the I mean we talked about the stats last week and they were eleventh in the majors in batting average with runners in scoring position, which is kind of wild considering as frustrating as it been as it uh, as it has been it's surprising to think that there's teams that are worse, but um, that's still a major drop off from a year ago when they were first with runners in scoring position. There was somebody that could score last year. It happened. They did. They did score this year. I don't know what it is, and I, I kind of started to pick up on it in a, in a bat with Mookie. Um, he had, uh, I don't remember if it was one or two runners in scoring position, but he uh, really started to just take a crap ton of pitches. Maybe that, I need to focus in on that more when there's runners in scoring position. Maybe that's what they've just kind of started to do this year. Instead of being aggressive uh, and attacking pitches to get hits and drive and runs they're just trying to sit and wait for their pitch and that's never going to come like the pitcher needs to get an out or he's going to give up a run he's not going to give you your pitch that's not the time to work a count you be aggressive get the runs yeah i agree with you that aggression needs to be there much more than it is right now and that's a huge reason why these guys aren't performing um I think that's kind of that kind of answers the part where he asks about why they've been a 500 baseball team and they haven't been able to progress. And I think that that's that and the bullpen have been the two biggest reasons why. Um, in in terms of the next guy to be called up in the bullpen, though, um, I certainly don't think it's going to be Francisco Mejia because he's not on the roster uh, right now. Um, It'll probably be somebody boring like a Bobby Pointer or someone like that if they need another guy. Uh, maybe one of the guys they're going to activate, like Brian Johnson. Well, his question was who should be the next guy. So I would say it should be someone from outside the organization. It probably won't be, though. Yeah, I mean, we can agree on that. There just aren't a lot of interesting options down there. No, there are not. Um, all right. So let's uh, let's move on to the next one. Zach, uh, who was the winner of our uh, OOTP baseball license giveaway. So, Zach, congrats on that. 
Uh, he says, well, Mookie isn't terrible this year. It seems like there have been plenty of times for Mookie moments, but he hasn't come through. Um, how does this change that? I, or how does he change that? Runners in scoring position seems to be a dumpster fire this year. Uh, it hasn't looked at the stats, but feels like they've left so many opportunities. Um, I guess he just kind of read your mind with uh, the answer that you just gave. Yeah, I guess I just kind of answered that. Although, so Mookie in particular, I guess, with uh, runners in scoring positions hitting 293 which is pretty good. But um, like today, I mean, I guess I noticed he's not being aggressive. Uh, and for those Mookie moments, he needs to be aggressive. He doesn't have any home runs with runners in scoring position. All of his homers have been uh, without runners in scoring position, which is kind of wild to think. But he just needs to be more aggressive. And those yeah. Mookie moments will happen. Be aggressive. Be aggressive. Um, all right, last question comes from Charlie Foxtrot, and he says, can we get Sale to walk around the locker room with some scissors before each game for motivation? Um, Chris Scissorhands? Um, yeah, I mean, his fingers are already so long that they're pretty much like scissors, so maybe he can just walk around the clubhouse threatening to poke guys in the eye unless they perform well. He basically is Slender Man, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's got a freakish-looking body. Um Certainly, certainly. I would say yeah. uh, him standing on the uh, the bench in the dugout yelling at everybody seemed to work in the playoffs last year. So maybe we need another one of those. Yeah, maybe he needs to um, blast more. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Young Jeezy. That was uh, one of Chris Sale's high school go-to moves was driving his truck and blasting Young Jeezy throughout the the uh, the woods of Florida. So uh, maybe he needs more young Jeezy in his life. I think we all do, really. We can agree on that. All right, that does it for this edition of the show. Uh, we hope you did enjoy it. If you did, go on and subscribe to us on anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, also, follow us. Um, you can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at, at @devjake, and you can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. Um, and uh, we will be with you this week uh, or next week at the exact same time. So uh, look for us on Monday.